This is Mark Tinker, and you're listening to Pod Clubhouse. Pod Clubhouse. Welcome to Decorating the Set from Hollywood to Your Home with your hosts, Beth Kushnick and Caroline Daly. Hey, Beth. I'm so excited. This week we're talking about directors. This is something that we haven't really delved into yet. I know we talk a lot about your relationship between your department and other departments, but I know there must be a really special relationship between the director and the set decorator. So talk to me a little bit about the difference between TV and film when you're working with directors. There is a difference. And of course, the director becomes our fearless leader in any job. Uh, We take our cues both, of course, from the script always, and then the tone that the director sets. We'll have some incredible stories, I'm sure, from our guest, Mark Tinker, who I worked with on NYPD Blue, and he certainly set the tone for a lot of great days of shooting in New York. So the difference really between working with a director kind of long-term on a feature film project versus episodic TV is really the time element. You know, when you are prepping a film as a set decorator, especially if it's a big visual effects film or if it's a period film, I could be on for a number of months of prep and I really get to know that director well. Episodic TV, we're shooting a new episode every seven to 10 days. You know, it's a little bit of a different relationship, but a lot of the shows that I've worked on have had a very small pool of episodic directors. So, you know, as as I would come back for season after season, I would be so happy to to see the same usual faces, the same members of the family. The usual suspects, right? (laughs) Yes, the usual suspects. And, you know, everybody has their style of directing. Some directors are extremely hands-on in a very, very organized, they come with a notebook of, of preparation that really could blow your mind. Every single thing is thought of. And we go into concept meetings and we review all these details and we read through the script pages and break everything down. And it seems like they're two weeks of prep, they've already done their homework to the point where it's so buttoned up versus, say, a director, not that there's anything wrong with this, but um, someone who is more conceiving and creating, not really on the fly, but once they've walked the sets, once they've seen the locations, once each department has had meetings and things shift and change. Um, What I'm noticing mostly lately is in a situation where I'm working with a director who's responsible for a two-episode block. So they're with us for a longer amount of time. It really starts to work because not only are they conceiving what we're going to shoot 
in the first episode they're doing, but they're also telling the story an episode later. I see that a lot of their work and a lot of their preparation is also very tied up with the script. When you're shooting two episodes uh, simultaneously or together, uh, there's a lot more analysis, I think, that's done on the script and things change. You know, we've spoken in the podcast before about how whenever there are new script pages, they come out as a new color and there's a set standard list of colors. So you start with white and continue on through all these colors, yellow and blue and goldenrod and pink. I'm seeing that with directors who are shooting two episode blocks, the script goes through a lot of changes. And even if it's just a small dialogue change, or if a joke is set up differently, nonetheless, you know, things are changing and evolving. Then there are directors who I think, in a way, do their best work literally conceiving in the moment, looking in the camera, dealing with the actors right then and there. And those are directors that make the work of a set decorator a little more challenging because those are directors that have me running and gunning for things that they're just coming up with. Always your favorite. <laughs> Always my favorite. You know, it's it's part of the challenge. And I love those challenges. Uh, <laughs> like this weekend, finding two matching tables in stock for a scene that shoots at six o'clock in the morning on Monday. But, you know, I did it thanks to uh, a fabulous vendor and a lot of effort. But yeah, there are directors who all bring a kind of different vibe and different personality. The most important thing is the tone that they set for the cast and crew and how they create a scenario where all the crafts are collaborating together. And that's a make it or break it scenario for a, a you know, a director and for an entire, an entire show. So now you have worked with many directors several times, and that's like one of the big benefits of having been in the business for a while and also getting to work back on those units that come annually to, to New York. We're going to get to talk to one of those directors, Mark Tinker, later on in this episode, which I'm so excited to have our listeners get to hear him. But when it comes to dealing with directors who you're super familiar with versus dealing with brand new directors, either to you or even just brand new to their jobs... How is that different? How do you how does that gel? What's the process there? I've been extremely blessed to work with some of the most uh experienced directors in the business who come back season after season and they tell me often that they look forward to walking onto a set that I've done because they appreciate the character-driven work and um, kind of all I provide for them. What I find with directors that I'm familiar with is, you know, I, I provide for them and they give back to me by setting up shots that, you know, see the entire room, feature the set, use the set as another character, uh, embolden the actors to do that as well. You know, of course, I get my most joy out of that because we do so much work and it's so much effort on my team's 
behalf that very often doesn't get seen. So, you know, we have to all live with that. But, you know, there are new young directors who are finding their way. And what I appreciate about them is they trust that I've been experienced in this process. They tend to trust what I provide for them. That's kind of what it is. It's a, it's really a, a, it's a collaboration. And, and, you know, the more of these meetings that we have, and now we, we do so much of this prep time on Zoom, which in a bizarre way, you know, we're, we're all in the office with our doors closed and our masks on, on Zoom meetings, but we are all focused visually on the screen that's being shared. So it's a very pointed discussion. I find that that's really helped me you know, to show what I'm bringing to the table and for the production designer to do the same. And then we get into it with the prop master and we talk really specifically. I think by the time these prep meetings are over and we're going to shoot, the directors tend to feel like within the art department, they're very covered and settled. You know, obviously each director comes their expectations, how they feel about the show that they're working on. I I think in the past when 22 episodes was kind of the norm of episodic television, obviously you were dealing with a lot bigger pool of directors. But, you know, these shorter episodic 10 episodes, eight episodes, even doing the the two episode blocks together, you do really only work with a couple of directors. And even better, as with Mark Tinker, when that director is really a showrunner as well and is on that show permanently um, and then directing an episode here or there. You know, that's when you get someone who really knows the whole team and has an expectation that's very focused on the script and keeps us all moving well and collaborating together. I'm sure that it completely it depends on the director standing in front of you. But just generally speaking, do you find that your department is something that directors really have their hands around? Like they really get what set decorators do and they really understand the scope of your department generally? I think it depends on the person. But I'll tell you, I really was one of the first set decorators in New York, which is now probably about 20 years ago, that decided to move into episodic television. That happened in New York for myself, for certain crew people, and for many, many actors, you know, as evident in certain New York-based shows where you would see every fantastic Broadway star and come up in these episodes of, of New York TV being cast here. I do think that having come from feature films and directors knowing my past and my work and what they can depend on me for, I do think that makes a difference. There are directors who are completely visually oriented. I mean, there are directors who might have ended up being production designers or set decorators. I also find, depending on how 
they've worked in the past, who they know. Even some directors kind of enjoy the design process so much and are very familiar with visual effects. And they bring a different element to the table in that way because they're literally thinking visually. And that's what I do. I think often about what the camera sees. It doesn't matter what you see when you dress a set and what you're looking at if you don't understand what the camera is going to see, if you don't understand how the actors are going to move within the traffic pattern that you've set up in the room, if you don't understand where the crew can be even on a, on a set. You know, when you shoot on a soundstage where there are multiple sets, you have to give the crew a place to live because there are so many of us and now we have to be distanced from each other. But all these things that directors tend to think of, um, putting a camera port which is maybe a, a, a hole in, in a wall. Just last week, we put a camera port behind the bathroom mirror in a bathroom set that we built. So we can take the mirror off and shoot through that hole. And that way, the director can have a viewpoint to the bathtub with the actress in it. So these are things that good directors know where they want to shoot from, what kind of equipment they need. Do they want a crane in a certain shot so they can get up high over the set and look down or over whatever location they're, they're shooting in? So the, the work between the director, the director of photography, set decorator and production designer is very, very integrated and important to give that director what they want in terms of how they want to shoot and how they want to tell the story. Beth, we're so lucky today to have a fantastic interview with a good friend of yours and a fantastic legendary guy in television and film, Mark Tinker. So listeners, please stick around and listen to our interview. Hey, listeners, this week we have Mark Tinker with us. He has had his hand in shaping some of the most landmark and iconic television series over the last 50 years. His credits include being a producer and director of shows including St. Elsewhere, L.A. Law, NYPD Blue, Deadwood, Private Practice, Chicago PD, and American Gods. During his long career, he's been nominated for 16 Emmy Awards and has won four times. Congratulations, Mark. You're a legend of television. Thank you so much for joining us today. Did I do all that? I don't know. I'm pretty sure that I might have fudged a few things on that. Oh, no, you're the real deal. (laughs) I have to stop my my Golden Girls fan because I want to call it La La because that's what Rose calls it. There you go. Beth, tell the listeners how you and Mark got to know each other and, and the first time you guys worked together. Well, it's many moons ago and appropriate that we're talking about this now as just yesterday in my attempt to pare down my life and empty all my various storage spaces. I just came across all my former notes and notebooks and photos from NYPD Blue, which is how 
I met Mark when he came here with that show. And we would, as we've talked about with production designer Richard Hankins, we would meet once a year for many years in a row to shoot numerous New York units for the show. That started our set decorator director relationship. And we've done some work privately, some design work I've done for Mark and his wonderful wife. And for me as a set decorator, this relationship in particular, director to production designer and set decorator is something that really plays itself out very intensely in episodic television. So I'm thrilled that Mark is with us to tell our listeners a bit more about it. It really doesn't get brought up enough how important that those three relationships are, especially if you're coming into a show that you don't, that you aren't producing, you need to count on the production designer and the set decorator to sort of bridge gaps for you in terms of knowledge of the scenes of the show, rather. We were lucky enough through Richard Hankins, who was our production designer, to have Beth introduced to us. Basically, the rest was history for all the visits we had. And actually, she, I will correct her on one thing. We did, for a while, we were doing two a year. Oh, that's right. In the beginning, we were. I will tell you that those were so looked forward to and so enjoyed because it got us off the soundstage, out of L.A., in a nice hotel with free meals. Uh, And the good news was we weren't working 14 or 16 hours a day because mostly we were daylight-oriented, not too much night work. Beth and Richard led the charge, I will say. They did so much behind the scenes that even I'm not aware of with their long hours because they did have to work before and after. I just coasted through on their coattails. You know, the character backstory that a set decorator and production designer get to tell, and and for me, that's always been my focus, filling every drawer and cabinet and creating the world for these characters. That is what has really informed all the different directors that I have been able to work with throughout all my years in episodic television, it really changes from the relationship that you have when you're on a movie start to finish. But the New York units and, you know, shooting a new episode every 10 days, I'm always, as the set decorator, kind of covering the shooting director while the production designer moves forward with prepping with the prepping director. We're sort of always running two teams, but then I'm always lucky enough to get to then stay with the shooting director and get to know them. And it's, it's been amazing. And Mark and his command of the the show and the whole team and being more than just an episodic director, but being a showrunner really helped Richard and I and, and made such a difference in what we were trying to accomplish. Part of that has to do with the fact that you don't have to go further than me or maybe one other person to get your answers. You don't have to let the thing trickle down or trickle up to get uh, answers. Uh, It's funny because the the crew in New York, 
a lot of whom were repeat offenders whenever we would come in. It was really like a little family. We we would get together like a little family reunion once or twice a year. You know, in, in those days, honestly, you were working on TV shows that ran for, you know, 22 episodes a season. It's, it's not the way it is now where there's so much content, but, you know, you're doing eight shows or 10 shows max. Some of them are half hour shows. So you're really on a job for a short amount of time. These New York units were planned in advance. So around our regular gig of 22 episodes, we would always plan for this in advance, the arrival of the whole company from LA. And if we had to take off from our regular gig so we could get together. We loved it that you guys would do that because it made our life a lot easier because you develop a shorthand with people. Exactly. What do you feel as a director is the difference for you when you're just coming in and doing episodic, you know, maybe you're on for two or three episodes in a season versus really digging your heels in as the showrunner? Tell our listeners the difference and and what your responsibilities are as a showrunner. Well, as a directing showrunner, you're in charge of hiring directors and then hopefully maintaining the style of the show and the uh, consistency of character and tone. As an outside person, you're not, no one's, I'm going to use a horrible cliche, but no one's looking for you to reinvent the wheel. You got to go in there and kind of toe their line, but you can still be creative if you put your mind to it without compromising what the people at home want to see and come to see every week, you know, when they're regular viewers. So you go in as a guest director and you have to make sure you prove yourself pretty quickly that you know what you're doing. And and actually that starts in prep when you're in different meetings with people. They'll know whether you know what the hell you're doing. That's true. What it's pointing out kind of all around is that we are such a collaborative business and we're so ingrained with each other department to department, which is, you know, speaks so interestingly for me to the whole COVID effect of, you know, what it's like to go to work and shoot and, and have pretty much a department COVID wise. That's the biggest department on the job these days. You know, you're only as good as the people around you on your team So let's get back into this idea that, you know, you guys both actually are very unique and that you've grown up around the industry. That probably very much affects your relationship to the industry. Like we talked about it with Marcus about how he learned hand drawing. And that was like part of how, you know, he wasn't just learning on the computer. And that's probably something that's coming into play now when you guys are running into, you know, people who aren't trained in the same way that you guys were. How is that affecting, especially again, you guys growing up in the business and sort of knowing like these very traditional ways of doing things and things have changed now with tech, especially with COVID. Talk to me a little bit about that because we've talked a lot, Beth, about how that's really created a, you know, a huge obstacle in collaboration and in just speaking the same language. What I'm finding is that there's almost a gap between you know me having 38 years in this industry and the way things used to be done. And okay, so we didn't have the technology and we didn't have cell phones and computers. And there was a a level of trust that you were hired because you were an expert at what you did. And what you brought with you was expertise 
in your team. Now that kind of skipped to anyone, you know, who has an interest sort of has an opportunity to be in this without even the most basic of training. What that does is for me as a department head, with a lot of old-fashioned ways and expectations, quite honestly, it puts me in a, in a kind of difficult situation because so many ways in which we have to present and speak and do and manage, it seems that it's left the professional kind of just your basic 101, you know, when in my department, you know, there are certain standards that I expect. And to me, they're the most simplistic of, of things. And all of a sudden, it's just not happening. I mean, a bit of it is technology. A bit of it is it being so busy that there are, you know, lots of places for people to hide and not excel. Not be exposed. Mostly, I, I think it's, we've lowered our expectations in terms of the work ethic. And we had a little more fun back in the day. The level of the work ethic was much higher. I totally agree. When you talk about the traditional ways, they weren't tradition back then. They were just the way we did it. Yep. The business has expanded technologically and also in a million other ways. But the people that are doing the job now, they don't have a sense of history of what went on before them. When I was a kid, I knew who Frank Sinatra was. I wasn't listening to his music, although I like it now. Wasn't listening to it then. People don't know about shows. Like you mentioned St. Elsewhere is the first thing I worked on. No one knows who the, what the fuck St. Elsewhere is. Listen, my old man was a legend in the business. People don't know who, who he is unless they've been around a long time. In a word, it's history, and history builds on itself, and you learn from history's mistakes, and you try and go forward and make things better. I'm making a grandiose statement about the business, but it applies. We're erasing history now in many ways. You know, going back to my storage, a tub, a Rubbermaid tub of albums, right, that I've had since my childhood. I was on a job where, as a flashback, kind of, we wanted this one character to have albums and a record player, you know, because all of our things are now used in a revisiting hipster kind of way. One of the people on my crew saw an album. I said, make sure, you know, that those come back to me. They're very precious to me. And actually said, I didn't know Barbara Streisand was a singer. <laughs> Oh, wow. <laughs> That's because Painful. that person only knew Barbara Streisand as an actress. That really struck me. And, and I find that that happens in all different kinds of ways that we work and communicate. You know, now a lot of people who sit in an office together, let's say in an, in an art department, they're so close sitting I mean, now, you know, with COVID protocols changing a little bit, they're sitting in the same room and they're texting each other. The art of communicating and talking and telling these stories has really left so many of us. And I might be one of the older ones on my job right now. And I find myself just telling those old stories and everybody looks at me like, wow, 
how did that happen? You know, I wish that we could have a little bit more of our history shared with people who are coming up in the industry these days. It's really important. No one listens to the old guys anymore. And when I started hanging out with my grandfather and heard all his stories and got a, a sense, uh, a real sense of uh, his history and what you can learn from people who have been around the block several times, it makes a big difference. You know, the art of communication now uh, seems to be text. That doesn't make a lick of sense to me because you can do it a lot faster, a lot cleaner, and with nuance you can't get in a text. But going back to one thing Beth said before about, you know, putting that stuff on the set that she had, that is a big thing for, let's say, an actor. Helps them uh, understand their character a little bit. or Because you know, actors are always looking for something to grab onto to help them fill the backstory of a character. And it also helps the director. It helps the audience. A really well thought about piece of set decoration, or let's say an album, like she said, or a photo, or something that really sets the, the time period really cleanly, is often subconscious to the audience, but other times they go, oh yeah, I remember we had one of those. It helps set a time period, a mood, a tone, and Beth's folks and Hankins' folks were really good at doing that. Can we talk a little bit about the process with you guys? Because that's a really great example, Mark, about you know things that Beth picks out absolutely affect the actor, which 100% affects your directing them. You guys all affect each other. So what's the process with that? Like, Mark, do you have any input with what Beth is putting onto that stage? Beth, are you bringing individual items to Mark? Like, how does this work? Wait a second. You don't know this stuff? You don't know from talking to Beth all these times. <laughs> Here's the awesome thing, Mark. We have people who are coming up in the business who have written into us and said, I never realized that's how it works. And they're in, they're trying to come up in the business. So I'm asking on behalf of them, how? And how? we also have fans and internationally who are doing their own work in, in the film industry where they are. So the director, set decorator, actor actress relationship you know i've worked with actors who have called me before the shows even started and wanted certain items and a, a certain vibe a certain feeling since i've worked on so many actors private residences i've gotten to know them and their likes personally and I, I always try to bring a little bit of that into their character's flair when you get a, a script for an episodic tv show the script gets broken down by each different department as a set decorator i read that script and i'm looking for those standout items of, uh, you know, what drives the action and, and where we're going to shoot location or on the stage, if it's a standing set, if we have to alter it in any way, then there are certain things that, you know, the director really gets involved with, uh, whether it's certain artwork or graphics or really specific scripted things, because in a way, both of our jobs is to bring that script to life because it all starts with the script. That's absolutely right. And the thing that we didn't get to do as much when we would come to town, to New York with NYPD Blue and Beth, was we were such a run-and-gun outfit that we had to completely rely on her and uh, Hankins to provide what we needed in a set. And we were mostly outside, but even how, the, how you dress the outside. 
And so normally you might get a, a set decorator bringing you a box full of stuff saying, which do you want? Like the prop guys do the same thing. And you would, you know, as a director uh, or a producer would, would choose those important items. But we didn't have to uh, have the luxury of time there. Because when I say run and gun, that's what we did all day. We chased the sun and tried to get our work done before it got dark. And Beth's bringing the right stuff saved us a whole step of what we needed to do uh, or what we needed to pick because uh, we didn't have time. You know, through all my years of episodic TV, I mean, there are certain directors that I work with who, you know, they make it their goal to do establishing shots and, you know, not shoot everything so tightly that you never see it, but really take the set and let it live as another character in the show. And that's the best part of the relationship when, you know, they get to use the set or think of a different angle or bring in a crane and see the world, then all your work is exposed. And it's much more gratifying than just, you know, what you're seeing of a talking head. Yeah, I would think of this discussion as kind of an extension of a, of a because co- I've done a little bit of college teaching. And you don't know what you don't know until you do it. If you're a person trying to come up in the business, I would suggest you work, you know, like if you're in college or even if you're not, if you're at film school or if you're out there just working as a freelance uh, crew or whatever, do as much as you can because that's how you get the experience to know how things work. You can't just go on a set and figure it out. There's too many people going on sets now thinking, well, all I really need to do is shoot the shots and maybe talk to the actors once in a while. They don't know about lenses. They don't know about showing the world. They don't know about, you know, how to deal with the crew. That's a big that's a big deal that people don't talk about much. How do you manage a crew? If you can motivate a crew, and I think I, I, I must say, I will pat myself on the back. You should. I had a good relationship with our crews. I was able to have great relationships with everybody. I knew about them personally. We, we shared information. Imagine in the old days when they were doing 39 episodes a season. Imagine how much time you spent with all those people. And we, we spend all our time now anyway, more than our families most of the time. You got to have interpersonal relationships, and that's a huge deal. And if you come on the set thinking you, your shit doesn't stink, then you're going to not get a lot of help. And respect for each department on every level. For instance, just today, my on-set dresser team let me know that, you know, they were shooting in in a brownstone with a really kind of creaky staircase, you know, even though it wasn't their job to do, everybody selflessly came together and brought the sound mixer's cart down from the third floor. No department can really function on its own. You know, every department needs every other department. You know, when it comes to eating or drinking on set, I take that really seriously from the other departments. You know, they know. Guilty, guilty, guilty. (laughs) Well, as the director, sometimes, you know, it happens. But, you know, it's, it's about respect that each department relies on each other and communicates with each other. 
you have to realize that as, as much as the shooters are doing, when we're building a set from the ground up, we're building it with the construction department, the carpenters, the construction grips, the scenic artists, the set dressers, the set decorators, all the teamsters involved in getting us all the materials that we need. Then, of course, the grips and electricians are lighting that set on the stage. We're all in the same space together. That has to be a really well-oiled machine for everybody to get their chance it's the hardest on the set decorating department because we're the last line of defense. You know, the set has to be built and and painted and and ready for us to go dress. So it's a it's a quick turnaround, especially in episodic television. You know, when you get on a crew like we were on NYPD Blue, that's a well-oiled machine because the person leading the charge, Mark Tinker, sets a tone that everyone is, you know, family and everyone is respected. It can make all the difference. There's an expression called log rolling in our time. That's an example of that. Look it up if you don't know what it means. But the first time I heard it was on National Lampoon in the magazine. I'll give you a, a big problem for Beth that she, whenever I worked with her handled wonderfully but but fortunately for us with the with the blue stuff it didn't really happen much but when you have to change a set from one thing to another the same set and you don't get the set in timely fashion you know what i'm talking about right beth oh yeah <laughs> Th- that's a giant headache or let's say you can't uh, strike the set you have to you're going to come back to it so she can't do her work until that other shit is struck and that's why uh beth doesn't sleep as well as some people do <laughs> that's why you come on like this <sighs> <laughs> every time we're starting i love what you guys are talking about relationships because beth that's something we've talked about whether it's with your florist whether it's with your upholsterer whether it's with your prop house manager whomever you're working with you have really spoken to the importance of relationships relationships. And that sounds like exactly what you and Mark are both saying. If you don't have a great relationship between the director and the crew and each individual department, nothing is going to be produced that anyone's going to be proud of. You're right on the money. It's just like life. Relationships. Everyone wants to be a part of something. Everyone wants a close relationship, a warm relationship, feeling supported, not feeling alone. The amount of time we spend, I said it a little while ago, with a crew on a set is usually way more than you spend with your family. Consequently, those relationships better be good if you're going to be a happy camper. That, to me, is one of the most important parts of being a a good producer, aside from scheduling or knowing who to hire or how to deal with people. It is making sure that you have got everyone working on at the same time on the same page. Talk to me a little bit about a time when everything went fantastic. When you guys looked at each other and you said, I cannot believe we pulled that off. I cannot believe that, like you were saying, Mark, like the the set piece has actually arrived. This actually worked. We actually pulled this all off. Every time we went to New York, I felt that it was like, holy shit, we pulled it off. Because I would look at it, especially when I was first on, on NYPD Blue, I looked at the amount of work we had to do and the amount of uh, moves we had to make in that day. And I said, we're never going to fucking do it. And I shot my stuff. I went back to the hotel that night thinking, 
I totally missed this. But there was a kineticism about New York. Uh, something was going on the way we shot it that you looked at the dailies and you went, holy crap, we did get it. In those days, we really did have a lot of work to make New York look dirty and make New York look gritty. There was a lot of prep work that happened that, you know, was supposed to go unnoticed. It, you, you wouldn't know, think but, you'd have to put garbage on the streets. Yeah, but in those days, this city was pretty clean. You know, for me as a native Manhattanite, turning some of those storefronts and different blocks that we would be on, and and it just, you know, it thrilled me because that's my kind of sense memory of growing up in the city and everything. It's a lot of hurry up and wait. You know, we have to be well choreographed and that's what we would do. You know, Mark would shoot and they would say, okay, that's it. We got it. We're moving to the next setup. And it was all hands on deck. And we move really like a logical choreographed team. You know, a lot of that also came from the fact that that show in particular did very, very good prep. Right now, I'm working on a, on a TV show that's shooting in blocks. So we shoot two episodes at a time. And that's a great thing because you've got the director there for two whole episodes. If you're using the same location, you'll shoot one day for one episode and the next day for the other episode. And it's very efficient, very logical, because we're not prepping and shooting and wrapping and then going back. You better be sharp in remembering what's, what's oh, what yeah. what's when happening you're jumping around day. between shows. And also, uh, best leaving out uh, when she talks about the director being there for two episodes, it's a good amount of time. you got a long prep. I don't know. It's yeah. probably four, at least 14 days of prep. Yes. And then another, uh, you know, depending on their, their shooting schedule, uh, you know, 14 to 20 days. Yeah. So it also helps really formulate for me as a set decorator, the relationship with the director. I, I mean, I, I can tell from my experience right away what their bent is, what's important to them, how they communicate with the DP, you know, how they feel about the art department. I have really had the fortune of working with directors who just appreciate what we do in a way. And, you know, what can I tell you? Both young and, uh, you know, more experienced directors, they do seem to love the magic and, and <laughs> watch it happen. That's what we call Beth here, the magic. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Not me, but, you know, team effort. I'm just a teaser, you know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> By the way, Carolyn, I would say you're doing an excellent job of moderating this. Oh, well, thank you, Mark. I appreciate you. I appreciate you. <laughs> I think you're doing great. <laughs> oh, see, now I've gone off my uh, point. I think that uh, that with all of this stuff, these people come in and need to understand, pay attention to the guys that know something, because you, before you know it, you'll be one of those guys. It goes by really fast. So just pick up where you can. It's the old listen in, instead of talk. 
and it makes a difference. But but I know what I was going to say. It had to do with COVID. And I I got out of Toronto on American Gods literally like two days before the lockdown of COVID. I will say that I can't imagine having to work, and I haven't since then because I'm enjoying being an old guy and sitting on my fat ass in Connecticut. (laughs) I can't imagine having to work under these restrictions and all these different zones and the masks, and I know it's letting up a little now, but holy crap, I'm in awe of all these people and all the tests they had to take. Uh, and God knows, you know, making entertainment, we used to say, hey, we're not curing cancer. But it's important to people to have something to do. If we imagine, look what happened to Netflix and all those other outfits when people were sitting home because they couldn't go out. We used to say, flash the E in the sky. It's an entertainment emergency. <laughs> yep. Yep. But it's it. true. I'll tell you the COVID protocols and organization to it, what it means for me with a team like right now, I have probably 28 set dressers on my job. What? Yeah. Holy crap. Yeah. The testing schedule alone is a, a marvel. Uh, you know, when we just sit down and review who's going where and what day they have to be tested and you know i'm closer to the actors and the directors so i have to be tested more and the teamster that drives me has to be tested with me and scheduling where we're going to be and all of that now it's the kind of stuff i live for that kind of precise logic and organization i love it but it is another added level you know there's a lot to think about it is fatiguing to be talking to a crew all day long and everybody's masked it's 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 made our jobs obviously a a lot harder and we're estranged kind of physically when you know we were such a close-knit group whatever i bet bet, given beth's uh bent for organization and uh order go look at her closet see if it's color-coded See if everything's very organized. Hey, listen, I have to ask you guys. So what happens when set decorator does not agree with what the director wants? Director is having a huge problem with what set decorator is doing. How should people be approaching these relationships? Because we already said, keep it cool. I'm going to answer that first. First of all, it depends on who the director is. If he's a regular on a show, then he gets uh, some. Uh, uh, he gets a little weight in that discussion. If he's not, for the most part, uh, the producer, the producing director, or another producer should either override or agree with him. On the other hand, mostly the set decorator loses, which is unfortunate. But sometimes, uh, you know. Uh, that's the way it goes. You think that's right, Beth? Yeah, I do. I take a stand because I have such great interaction with fans who are so smart and, you know, always looking for gaffes and all kinds of stuff. I mean, there are times when it really makes me crazy when a director or writer says, oh, that doesn't matter, you know, if we, you know, change locations for the exact same character's apartment or if we take these liberties visually, I'll go in and take a stand. To a point, but to a point, then you got to give up. And I got to give up. and if you're if you're smart in the business you'll you won't let that bother you you'll you'll let it go and you know you'll you'll live to fight another day 
Exactly. You got to pick your battles. Yep. Good Lord, Beth has taught us all that there's 18 other decisions to be made one second later. So Holy <laughs> crap. suck it up, right? <laughs> That's what a director's job is, constantly making uh, decisions. People, you know, between takes are coming up and showing up pictures or doing this and that. This is stuff you wouldn't think about if you were if you hadn't done uh, uh, been on a set or really learned from the bottom up in the business. And don't be afraid to take a shitty bottom level job, folks, because that's how you learn and you work your way up. And if you're smart and you got you know drive and, and people know, uh, see that and they do, although it's less easy these days than it was in the past, I must say I wouldn't like to be trying to get in the business these days without any connections. If you're working hard, people will notice. I love that. Everything I've worked on, I've been so fucking lucky to work with at Lorimar when I was working on the Waltons as a fucking gopher at MTM when, when I went over there sort of against my old man's uh, desire. You know, one of the other guys in the company said, uh, when, when he said, we want to bring you over, I said, let me tell you something. My old man's not going to be happy with that. He said, let me handle that. Then I, I met Bruce Paltrow, Stephen Bochco, and David Milch. Amazing. I mean, these are three of the best writer-producers who ever, you know, worked in television. And so I was lucky. I was just lucky, and I learned from the best. I, I learned that I thought I was writer working with those guys. Nah, maybe you're not. So I concentrated on other things, and a, a guy named Michael Zinberg gave me my first shot at directing on the Bob Newhart show. But I'm telling you, if you just work your way along the road, you will have passion for everything you do if you make the right choices. And if you are lucky enough to meet and be mentored by someone like Michael Zinberg, that is just the ultimate example of the Well, you've worked with him on, on The Good Wife, right? Consummate professional, amazing teacher of all things television and life. Did you know I, that he did that for me? No, yeah. I didn't. He has said, spoken some of the wisest words to me in my life. I am indebted to him for his perspective because someone like that with so much experience can really put a clear perspective on on things. Beth has just gone back to what I was saying, which is pay attention to the people that have been around. You know, you can't give anyone an insight, but you certainly can get them to the trough to drink from the insight trough. Yeah. <laughs> Zinberg is the kind of guy who's been around enough and he's like really mellow he doesn't really you know he just sort of goes along and does his thing and and uh, has good ideas and 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 gets along with the actors and 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 understands how to work with the crew these are things you can't teach these are things that that are innate and it has to come either in your dna or you you find a way to start to live that way and make it a part of even how you communicate how you move on set knowing when to step back knowing when to give a, a an idea or or try to have some influence it's a delicate scenario it takes a temperament that you know is very specific those people who are sort of Dialed in, I see it every day now. You start to notice them, their instincts and how their gut tells them to, to function in their job. So when I was 10, my parents divorced. 
I remember sitting on the stairs leading down to the basement with my three siblings. And my mother said, you know, your father and I are getting divorced. And she told me at that point that I was wearing the pants in the family, which, you know, I didn't know at the time was a little too much to tell a 10-year-old, but it certainly made an impression because I remembered it. As you go along, you learn about things from people you work with, personal and, uh, and professional. And I'll give you a for instance. I wouldn't say that my understanding of interpersonal relationships was so good as I was growing up, not because I led such a hard life, but just because I just didn't have uh, you know, those kind of things going on or anyone teaching me how to think, helping me learn how to deal with the world. So I remember being with Bruce Paltrow and he was telling me about going out on Robert Redford's boat. His take on Redford was that he never asked Bruce a question about his family or his personal life, but Bruce asked him plenty about his, uh, about Redford's. I remember Mary, my dad's wife, said, when someone says, how are you, when you meet them, you say, fine, thanks, how are you? I know that. It's true. You, you, you got to be reciprocal about shit. And Bruce saying that Redford didn't ask anything about his family, told me that that was some sort of disconnect that really was not a good disconnect. And I uh, have come to realize that uh, in spades in the long run. You are pulling out of my brain what I think on a daily basis lately in going to work and, you know, encountering so many new people. And it really is important. It's really important information. All I can say is that was supposed to represent an understanding that you can get from people who may have a little more experience than you. And that's redundant from where I've been before uh, in this podcast. But uh, I I think it's important to to re-recognize. And I will also say that I got two great Bernese Mountain Dogs from Redford. (laughs) And he asked, I was in Santa Fe once and we were having dinner with him. And he said, are you bringing the dog, Sophie, the, one of the dogs I got from him to Santa Fe? Because we had a house there. And uh, I said, no, you know, at the time they wouldn't let you fly the dogs. He said, I'll get the dog. He picked up the dog from my house, put it on a private fucking jet, <laughs> and flew the dog to Santa Fe and flew us back later on. Now, he didn't ask how you were, too. But he took you, too. And we waited three hours at the airport for him to show up on the return trip, which is sort of famous Redford shit. Always being late. Beth, I think that this episode delivers completely on the pulling back of the of the curtain. This is so behind the scenes. Right? <laughs> behind the scenes. But this is what we like to do. We like to talk to people like Mark Tinker, who can tell us what it's really like and give you those little nuggets. Like, please listen to the people around you. Don't come in like you know everything. This is your chance to soak it all up. So whether it's on set or, hey, through a podcast where you're listening to people like Mark Tinker and Beth Kushnick. Totally. <laughs> Mark, what, what, are you, what are you watching lately? Hmm. What are you reading? What are you watching? You know what? I've got a pile of books here I've not addressed. I've got the Norm MacDonald book. When he died, I ordered that. P.J. O'Rourke, I don't know if you know who he is, but he works for the Lampoon. I'm reading a book about uh, Leave the Gun, Take the Cannoli, about making Oh, I'm reading that too. Yeah, it's great. Dave Grohl, 
the Dave Grohl book, a book about the history of New York. Wow. The Chick Egley uh, recommend that I read, which is about an oral history of moonlighting, which is, uh, uh, I think it reveals who's a and who's not. A, a book by Harris Cattleman, uh, who uh, ran uh, Fox Television for a while, which is kind of interesting. Uh, and I've got two more to go. Uh, Rock Me on the Water by Ronald Brownstein, which is about the, uh, the year 1974 with the music, uh, television, politics, and movies in, in Los Angeles. And finally, The Rise and Fall of the Third Reich, which wow. I felt was important to read. And they're all sitting here on my desk. <laughs> Dropped two of them. Uh, they're all sitting here on my desk, unread, because I'm too busy being a, a dope and, you know, reading junk on the internet or looking at crap on youtube all right well you'll get there you'll get there but tv wise <laughs> just if you ask i'm late to mrs mazel and enjoying that immensely looking forward to uh, peaky blinders coming back on righteous gemstones we've been watching i mm. watch a lot of sports i watch a ton of news shows Mark, I'm so glad that you came on and chitty chatted with us. I hope that you feel like you've imparted some wisdom on our listeners. And I know that Beth is so happy to have you on. You guys are the cutest. I love when we have when we have buddies of Beth on. That's what we should call these buddies of Beth. Wait a second. Who's been on this with me? <laughs> Beth who? <laughs> I don't know this woman. Beth are you kidding? Hey, wait. That, that's a really good promo. Use that for the promo. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> By the way, Beth did a fabulous job of helping us decorate our apartment in the city. Oh, yeah? When she talked about, uh, you know, personal stuff, she's done a lot of things. And I, I, I'll, I won't mention anything because I don't know what, is, is uh, public knowledge or not, but she did a terrific job of helping us uh, uh, on our uh, apartment. We had some good, some good uh, shopping trips looking for beautiful fabrics and furniture. Yeah. And fortunately, <laughs> both she and my wife have good taste and I'm, yeah. just, a, I'm just a Philistine. So uh, <laughs> I just go along with what they tell me. But you're a great director. I'm enough of a director to have made a career out of it and uh even kept some of my hair <laughs> thank Not you much. so much for joining us this has been absolutely incredible just so wonderful how can people find you on social media i know people are going to want to interact with you they might have some questions they might want to follow up on some things that you said if that would be okay we'd love to have our listeners be able to interact with you they can listen to my nonsense on the twitter if they want uh, under my name with a letter c Mark C. Tinker. And I'm on uh, Instagram at uh, Wrong Coast. W-R-O-N-G-C-O-A-S-T. Yeah, you can look at either one of those things and you'll be remarkably disappointed <laughs> and astounded that a guy of 71 can be as puerile as I am. <laughs> and look that word up too. There you go, Keep right? learning. <laughs> Keep learning. That's our hashtag, Mark Tinker. Keep That's learning. Right. Keep an open mind. Keep listening, right? That's right. That's what we want. Thank you so much for coming on, Mark. We are so happy to have had you. And Beth and I look forward to maybe following up with you in the future. Who knows? Another project may come down the pipe. We don't know. I would love to. You guys are great. All right, guys. See ya. Thank you, Mark, so much for your time and for your generosity, giving us some really good behind-the-scenes scoop that everybody loves and letting everybody know really about how to enter the business and 
you know, what we're going to say with this episode and you, Mark, is hashtag keep learning. Absolutely, Beth. And for other social media interaction, please check out Beth. At Beth Kushnick on both Instagram and Twitter. Send me your questions, your photos. I'm the decorator by your side. Thank you guys so much for listening. And don't forget to please rate, review, and subscribe to Pod Clubhouse on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Five stars, people. Thank you so much. Hey guys, producer Mike here, just dropping in to read our latest five-star review from Apple Podcasts. If you write in and leave a five-star review at Apple Podcasts or at Beth's Instagram or Pod Clubhouse's Instagram or on Twitter, we'll read your five-star review here live on the show. This one comes from a reviewer on Apple Podcasts. Great new idea done right. Wow, I feel so lucky to have found this. It's like overhearing a set decorator talking about great ideas at the next table in a restaurant and you furiously scribble them down. How lucky to have the benefit of Beth's knowledge for free. I have already tried the paint thing and I can't wait to do more. Thank you for sharing your life's experience to make our lives feel better. Five stars. Thank you guys for writing in. Thank you for listening. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening. Decorating the set from Hollywood to your home is a original Pod Clubhouse production. Recorded, edited, and produced at Pod Clubhouse Studios. For more information, please visit us online at podclubhouse.com. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to Decorating the Set at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for listening.